Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. July 19th, 1977, the world teacher, the Christ Maitreya, head of the spiritual hierarchy, emerged from his ancient retreat and is now in the modern world. With his disciples, the masters of the wisdom, he will inaugurate the new age of synthesis and brotherhood. and welcome to our World Teacher Programme on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM presented by Teresa and David on behalf of Share International New Zealand. Today we feature the final episode of our trilogy of articles on the Master Jesus and his work. Once again we are grateful to co-worker Betty Stockborough for her review sourced from Share International magazine August 94, of the book He Walked the Americas by L. Taylor Hansen. Before we begin, though, this is the editor's note taken from the end of the article. Benjamin Kremsmaster has confirmed that the Master Jesus did indeed teach for many years in Polynesia and North, Central and South America in the 6th and 7th centuries. And in the December 98 edition of Share International, this question was asked of Benjamin Krem's master. In the New Zealand book Song of Waitaha by Barry Brailsford, the Waitaha claim that a being whom they call Rongo Marai Roa planted the seed of peace among their people. That is, they gave up the ways of war and lived harmoniously as a confederated nation of tribes. Was this God of peace the Master Jesus? The answer was yes. So now here's Betty Stockbauer's review. From the Polynesian Islands to the eastern seaboard of the United States, from Canada to South America, they called him by different names. The Healer, the Prophet, the Miracle Worker, God of the Dawn Light, the Wind God, the Teacher, the White-Robed Master. Although the names were different, the legends are sung the same. In Polynesia, they tell of three great ships that sailed from the west. Moving across the water, there appeared a fair-skinned man in a long white garment, brown hair and beard growing gold in the morning sun. When he reached land, the people saw that his robe was dry. Thus they knew he was a god. Scholars ascribe this legend to the first century AD. Among the Toltecs of central Mexico, there lived a prophet with grey-green eyes and golden sandals. With twelve disciples, he taught the people his religion of peace. The mound builders of North America told of a great healer who could raise the dead and heal the sick. He walked among the people, raised his hands in blessing, a mysterious cross graced each palm. Such are the stories whispered 
by the holy men and keepers of the legends for nearly 2,000 years. In 1918, L. Taylor Hansen was a college student, spending his summer vacation with the Chippewa Indian tribe in Michigan. His interest in their life was more than scholarly. Their language and dances, their culture and religion struck a richly harmonic chord in his soul. Dark Thunder, the chief, shared much of the tribal knowledge and one day told him of a holy man who had visited the tribe in distant times. This man came to the Indians when their empire was united and great cities stretched for miles. Wherever he went the miracles followed and always he spoke of the kingdom of his father. In this brief story Hansen sensed the germ of one much greater. That summer a council of many tribes was called to tell the young student the holy legends. His own gift to the council would be a book that would preserve their words for future seekers. Thus was born He Walked the Americas, a book pursued over two continents during the course of 45 years. What follows is the story Hansen gathered of those early times. At its heart, a miracle worker, pale of feature, white-robed, and with grey-green eyes that gazed into the future. Many scholars agree that the Americas were a thousand years ahead of their European counterparts at the dawn of the Christian era. The picture that Hansen offers of those days is a shining one. Most of North America was united, the common language Algonquin or Puan. Its capital was at present-day St. Louis, its sacred city in Michigan. These were the mound builders whose artifacts and history were preserved in the earth. Their streets and temples were lined with the rich green carpets of strawberry vines. Their copper mines supplied three nations with a metal that was harder than steel. In Central America, the Toltec Empire flourished. Its capital was Tolan, believed to be present-day Teotihuacan. Its sacred city was Cholula. The Toltecs were master craftsmen. They constructed magnificent temples and palaces and understood the sciences of the earth and the heavens. They were exquisite artists. The walls of their buildings were murals of splendid colour. The high Andes of South America boasted a similarly advanced culture. Their gigantic and mysterious pictographs, so remarkable when seen from the air, are thought to originate from this time. Evidence suggests that these empires were connected by trade. Great highways crossed the land and navigation of the oceans was well understood. As advanced as these cultures were, two practices threatened their stability slavery and human sacrifice. These evils, with their attendant war and thievery, brought fears to the lives of the people. It was this great wound the prophet had come to heal. His journey began in Polynesia, where he appeared in the first glimmer of dawn. In this war-torn land, he admonished the people to forsake their weapons and resolve old enmities. Ashamed that the first words from this god should be words of anger, they humbly bowed before him. From island to island he spread his religion of love. When he left, the people were united. Today they remain united by culture and tradition. 
From the islands he sailed east to Pachacamac in Peru. There he found a jealous priesthood who plotted his death. But wherever he went he was protected. He cleansed the temples and won the hearts of the people. Many mourned when he left to teach the warring tribes of Brazil. But gently he said, If you had a herd of llamas upon a hillside and one little lamb fell into the canyon, would you not go down to still its crying? So I go to save my llamas, for that is my father's business. Many years later, as ruler of Tolan, he would return to Peru to renew his temples and teachings. From Brazil he travelled north through the Caribbean and Gulf of Mexico, docking at seaports along the way. Here he received one of his many names, Hurukan, when he calmed the winds of a deadly storm sweeping the land. At first the leaders were afraid of his power, but as he travelled his legend grew. Merchants would tell of his works, traders would speak of the god who walked the earth, healing the sick and taming the fiercest beast. Soon his name was whispered everywhere, and many anticipated his coming long before his sandaled feet had touched their land. His trail ran north up the Mississippi to Canada. Today the tribes he saw remember his coming. The Cherokee, Chippewa and Cree, the Algonquin, Dakota and Shawnee, the Pawnee, Choctaw and Seneca. Still they see his long white robe with black crosses at the hem. Fondly they recall how he always blessed the little children. It is said he knew 1,000 tongues for everywhere he went, first he learned the language. In the cities, he refashioned the temples, decorating them in the rich colours and symbols of the four directions. He renewed as well their ancient ceremonies. Child sacrifice became infant baptism. Their pole dance became the sun dance, a ritual of penitence and expiation. He gave new meaning to the sweat lodge, the medicine lodge, and the smoking of the pipe. He taught the golden rule and the Our Father, sung in a cadence that echoed through the temples. Do not kill or injure your neighbour, for it is not him that you injure, you injure yourself. Do good to him, thus adding to his days of happiness, even as you then add to your own. Wherever he stayed, he chose twelve disciples and carefully trained them in this new dispensation. The symbols and ceremonies remain deeply interwoven in Native American life, a daily reminder of his teachings. In the little villages he gave the people seeds he had bought and showed them new ways of planting. He told them, when the people are hungry, instead of making war, pray to the Father that your needs be provided. Every morning before the dawn star appeared, it was known that the healer would be silently praying, awaiting its light. This became his special star, and around its cycles he fashioned a calendar for the people. In the early west, the settlers knew the Indian tribes would never fight while Venus lit the sky. As his fable grew, so did his names, for always he let the people choose what to call him. He was Wakia or Wakan, Wa meaning water, to honour his mastery over water. To the Hopi He, 
He was Takopa, the healer, to the Seri Tlazoma, the miracle worker. The Cherokee called him Imishi, the wind god, and the Papago Isikotl, the great healer. The Algonquins would not give him their own name and asked him instead for his childhood name when he lived across the ocean. So they called him Jesus, God of the Dawn Light. In Central America, his affectionate name was Catizal, but his most celebrated name was Quetzalcoatl, the plumed serpent. The Quetzal was a rare and vivid green bird. Co stood for serpent, a symbol for water, and Tor meant lord, so he was known as the Lord of Wind and Water. Each high priest who carried forth the teachings assumed his name as well. He travelled west through Canada to the Akima at the Pacific Ocean. So greatly was he revered that they called their highest mountain Tacoma to honour his name, Tla'akoma, Lord Miracle Worker. Turning south, he visited the Yaki and Zuni, Havasu and Akoma. The Seri of Baja California still tell of the time that Tlazoma healed a blind man by placing wet sand on his eyes. As one, they fell in worship before him. listening to the World Teacher Programme on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. When the Prophet came to Tolan, capital of the Toltec Empire in central Mexico, his fame had come like a ghost before him. Already everywhere the people were waiting, covering the land up to the mountains, lining the highways, singing and chanting. The stories had brought out the masses from a thousand miles distant and emptied all the towns and villages. Long had they known that he loved flowers and now they filled the air with perfume, raining blossoms down upon him. This rain grew thicker as he moved towards Tolan. Heavy flower carpets paved the highway. As soon as he walked over the blossoms, the people ran out and scrambled for them, hoping to keep a single petal which might have borne his weight for a moment. At the gateway, he paused a moment to gaze upon its fabulous beauty. Then he passed through the ponderous portals of metal encrusted with their pearls and emerald, and from the throats of a million people came a roar like to an ocean, bursting through the mouths of the Toltecs, as the monarch bowed low before him, and escorted him into Tolan the Golden. When he started to speak, a miracle happened. Never before to a great distance could the voice of one man be carried, but from the hilltop to beyond the city, to the wall and on to the mountains went forth his beautiful voice his musical voice speaking in Toltec. He told them of his travels, the friends he had won, 
and the enemies he had reconciled through love and understanding. He asked the leaders to honour the sacred way by renouncing slavery and sacrifice. Thus he spoke that first day in Tolan, and one by one every proud head was bowed. His stay with the Toltecs lasted many years. It is thought that the Temple of the Sun at Teotihuacan and the sacred pyramids at Cholula were his special shrines where he taught the priesthood the ancient rites of initiation. His words and miracles wove a common thread through the thoughts and customs of the land. In peace and reconciliation, the Toltecs found their true power as a nation. When he left Tolan, he journeyed east through the Yucatan and spent his last days in this hemisphere on the island of Cozumel. In a magnificent redwood ship, he sailed into the sunrise, bound for Tlapalan, his homeland across the sea. He departed, but the legend he left has taken many forms. Some have called it myth, but others are convinced of its historical identity. Dr. Frank Buck, a late Hawaiian scholar, thought his clothing and the type of vessel he rode pointed to a Red Sea origin. He cited similar stories of a pale-skinned teacher in the fables of China, India and Japan. Wakoyama Mountain in Japan is said to be named for a white god who taught there. The Book of Mormon records events in the Americas between BC 600 and AD 421. It has prophecies of Christ's coming and several chapters about his appearance in the Americas after his resurrection. As in the Bible and the Indian legends, he performed miracles and chooses 12 followers to continue his work. 3 Nephi 11 to 28. Hansen himself thought the teacher must have been a member of the Essenes, a religious sect of early Christian times. Essenes wore a toga-like garment and always spoke of God as my father. Native Americans he interviewed knew the word Essene and their names for the prophet, Isikotl and Emishi, may have been a derivative of it. Throughout his travels, Catezal, as he was known in Central America, had sometimes foreseen a grim and woeful future for the people of these lands. To Mount Popocatepetl, above Tolan, he often went to pray. One day, high on that white-clad mountain, his own hair turned white at the visions that he saw. Gazing into the plain below, a curtain opened and he saw a future Tolan. Strange revelries filled the streets and unholy rituals gripped the temples. Gone were the brilliant flowers and birds of rare plumage. Gone were the laughing smiles of the people. Gone was his carefully tutored priesthood, chanting the ceremonies. Forgotten was Katezal, his teaching a dim memory. As he watched, the mighty Popo itself began to tremble. A shattering earthquake split the land and Tolan the Golden lay twisted and dying. A ravaging fire consumed the last bits of life. Another curtain opened to vast waves of migration sweeping the land as plunderers arrived to despoil the kingdom. These invaders brought their wars and desecrated the temples, each band more powerful than the last. 
human sacrifice became their cornerstone of culture and belief. As he watched in horror, another cycle opened and clearly he saw the date. It was the year Titek Puddle, 1519. On the eastern shore were pale-skinned men with suits of armour and rods that kill at a distance. Though they carried his cross, clearly he saw that all they loved were the weapons of war. Sadly, he watched as these men spread so quickly and so cruelly that the face of the land was changed forever. For five cycles, 520 years, he saw the invaders play out their greed, making weapons ever more destructive, seeming even to challenge the gods. As he viewed these things, all that he had built seemed useless and futile. Where were his sparkling cities with their frescoes of many colours? Where were those who joyfully followed his law? Where were the happy children delighting in his touch? With mournful cries he prayed for his people. When Catezal departed Tolan, he told the people of his visions. He warned them to preserve their sacred writings in hidden caves so that future generations could treasure the words. He told them to tell their children that Mount Popo would foretell the coming times with its stern rumblings. He warned them to stay true to his ways to avert these disasters. Then he fashioned a giant rock intricately carved with the future cycles of the dawn star. Upon it he placed the time of warning, so that all would be aware of the pale-skinned marauders. Some did not believe these things. Some wept because they did believe. All were distraught that the beauty around them could so easily fall. But high on Mount Popo, a further cycle had been revealed to the prophet. The year was 2039, and as he looked into the valley, a golden beam of sun illumined a land reborn. Ended at last was mankind's age of carnage, outgrown the wars of its childhood. All before him lay in beauty. Large centres of learning with books from all nations dotted the land. Inscribed on their walls were his words for all to see. His sacred temples were lovingly restored. Once again the priesthood kept the sacred way. This cycle too he revealed in Tolan, and his parting words that day were an invitation, a gift to hold through the coming years. Quote, Walk with me through this age of the future. View the shining buildings of unknown material, the new forms of transport moving through the land. Walk with me the parkways with their birds and flowers, and look deeply into the faces of the people, no longer shrouded by fear, but shining with my light. Gaze into this time as mankind walks full statured towards its destiny, into the golden age of learning. Carry this vision on through the ages, and always remember Catezal the prophet. In the pueblos of the American desert live some who remember these words, for here too he promised to come back in some distant time. Patiently they wait, and every night they burn a candle to hasten his return. If to my teaching you are faithful, and to show that you have lived each day rightly, leave a light at night burning against the time I will return through the dawn light, and lead thee unto my Father's kingdom. 
and deep in the jungles of the Yucatan is hidden the people, a sacred priesthood who has kept his way for many centuries. It is said that in their temple too there burns a light, as it has constantly for two thousand years, since that day the prophet first gave it flame. And that concludes Betty Stockdale's review of L. Taylor Hansen's book, He Walked the Americas. And now here's the world teacher speaking through Benjamin Krem in message number 63. My dear friends, I am happy indeed to be among you once more in this way. My friends and brothers, I am happy also to tell you that my emergence into full and public vision has commenced. For yourselves, soon therefore, will you see that the Prince of Peace has returned, that your brother of old once again walks among men, that the preacher has returned in a new guise, but is essentially the representative of God. When you see me, you will know, my friends, that the new time indeed has begun. And that's our program for today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about the world teacher Maitreya and the Masters of Wisdom, please call us on 0636461101. That's 0636461101. Or visit the website share-international.org where you'll find more information on the various aspects of the emergence. To inquire about Share International magazine subscriptions, books by Benjamin Krem, or our monthly free-of-charge newsletter, which contains extracts from the current Share International magazine, the number is 04-234-1133. That number again is 04-234-1133, or write to P.O. Box 9576 Wellington. Thank you for listening to us on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM and please tune in to our next World Teacher Programme on Christmas Eve, Saturday the 24th of December at the usual time of 10am. You can listen again to this programme and previous ones by visiting our website at share-international-nz.info 
and click on the radio tab. Have a safe and happy Christmas everyone from us all at Share International New Zealand. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand on air for funding accessmedia.nz.